Good to see you. My name is Tim Harris. I'm pastor here at Woodburn Baptist Church. If you're joining us by Facebook Live, we're so glad you found us. Stay with us. Open your Bibles as well, all of us, to Acts chapter 17 today. Acts chapter 17. Way back in May, um, many of us were grieved at the tragedy surrounding George Floyd and his death. Um, I know that a lot of pastors, like that next Sunday or maybe two Sundays later, you know, came into the pulpit and spoke into that um, horrible cultural uh, situation. Uh, and by now, y'all know me, 25 years of, of me, uh, I, I'm just not good at that. I'm, I'm not good at just stepping up and having something to say about everything that happens, you know, in the world around us or in the culture. Um, it just takes me longer. So six months later, here I am, y'all. Um, uh, I just need to pray. I just can't step into the pulpit and have something to say. I have to pray. Um, I need to study and find out what, what God is saying and what God is showing me. And it just takes me longer. But uh, hopefully what I lack in timeliness uh, will make up for in carefulness and, and what I want us to do for the next four weeks. I, I want to start a sermon series today entitled One Blood. We're talking about race and the gospel um, I really struggled. Again, if y'all know me, I, I just, I'm a planner. I like to plan sermons out. I like to know what I'm preaching a year in advance. And uh, so it's not like me to throw a series in in the middle of, of a year. Uh, so I've been working on this uh, through the summer. Um, it, conversation with my son, though. My son Wade is the one who gave me the insight to just help me put these messages together. Because my son's the one who suggested I just structure it with the gospel. So that's what I'm doing. It's racing the gospel. Uh, so today we'll talk about God's intention, God's plan, how God designed us as, as uh, diverse people. Uh, next week we'll talk about sin and the fall and how that affects the way we relate to and see each other as, as different groups of people. The third week we'll talk about redemption, what Jesus has done. And then the last week, restoration, uh, what, what God does uh, because of Jesus. So that, that's kind of going to be the flow. Uh, but today we'll start with creation, how God intends things. And for that going to be in Acts chapter 17, starting verse 22. That's where we'll begin. <clears throat> I was 15 years old uh, at the Beta Club Convention in Lexington, Kentucky at the Radisson Hotel. Um, now, I'm just a redneck, you know, Woodburn kid, so I felt like, you know, I'd, you know, this was awesome. I'm in the city, big city of Lexington. I'm in a swanky hotel. I don't know if y'all noticed, there are no swanky hotels in Woodburn. So I just thought I was really somewhere. It, it was awesome. With my friends and just a room full of guys. Beta Club, I think we're supposed to be A and B students, but every guy in that room, we are dumb as snot. I mean, we're just dumber than snot, every one of us. Um, but anyway, we, we're smart enough to know that we're in Lexington and we're away from our folks and it's a hotel and there are girls there. So, you know, this whole week just becomes about meeting girls. But how are you going to meet girls? We're smart guys. But how do you meet them? Well, I don't know how it works now. I really, really don't. But back in the day, if you knew the room number of a hotel room, you could call that room. Like, you could call the phone in that room. All you had to know was a room number. So I'm thinking, y'all, the reason girls ain't calling is because they don't know our number. So I took toilet paper. Uh, see, I think I'm getting the beta club by being stupid. I took toilet paper, and I, I put our room number, like, on the, on the, on the window that faced Lexington. Uh, top floor, so I've got a room of giant white, you know, toilet paper letters. Uh, so then girls could know, and then girls could call. Y'all, within probably 12 minutes, 15 minutes, y'all, an actual girl called. 
I answered the phone because it was my toilet paper and it was my idea. So this was my girl, right? So this girl, this random girl calls because she saw the room number on the window. So I'm talking to her and we decide to meet. Take notes, y'all. This is how you do it. Braden, this is how you do it right here. So, so anyway, 15 minutes, we'll meet in the lobby. I said, how will I know you? She said, I'm going to wear a black and white striped mini dress because it's 1980. And so I said, all right, I will wear a light blue Izod shirt because it's 1980. And so anyway, that was our plan. So I run into the bathroom real fast. I mean, the other guys are so jealous and they should be. And let's just face it, they should be. So I go in and start getting ready. I pour like a bucket of Pierre Cardin cologne on because it's 1980 and my light blue Izod shirt, and I hit that lobby looking for my girl in a black and white striped mini dress, right? So I'm picturing, like it's 1980, I'm picturing like Farrah Fawcett in a mini dress, or maybe, um, you know, like Bo Derek in a mini dress. Y'all, I know, I mean, I'm old. Y'all know, know who Farrah Fawcett is, like Bo Derek? Well, do you know Janet Jackson? Because I got Janet Jackson in a striped mini dress. Um, I looked out across the lobby, and uh, the girl saw me, and I saw her, and she was in a black and white striped mini dress, and she was black, and I'm white. I could tell the look on her face that if I thought I got Janet Jackson, she thought she had Gomer Pyle when she saw me. Um, so what do you think we said to each other? Nothing. Y'all, it was 1980. We, we, we made eye contact. We recognized each other, but we just walked straight on past each other, you know. We just kept on walking. Um, now, we kept walking because it was 1980, and I was white, and she was black, to be honest. Now, to be honest, she should have walked past me, not because I'm white, but because I'm an idiot who put my phone number on the window and toilet paper. You know, that's all she needed. Um, it's just interesting. Um, that, that, that pretty girl and I walked right past each other. We can say because it was 1980, but we had both grown up after civil rights, um, I'm 55. My entire life, I always went to school with African-American children. I've always had friends in school that, that really wasn't a deal. Uh, so our parents and grandparents, you know, the generations before us had, had, you know, fought the fight to bring down the walls between me and that girl in the black and white striped mini dress that day. But, but the fact is, it was 1980, and she was black and I was white. And there was still a wall in our heads. You understand what I'm saying? The, the civil rights wall may have come down, but there was still a wall in, in, in our heads. Martin Luther King uh, said this when he's talking about racism and race. He says the heart can never be totally right if the head is totally wrong. The, the heart cannot be totally right if, if the head is totally wrong. And when it comes to thinking about other groups of people, other kinds of people, let's just be honest, a lot of us, our head's not totally right. Our hearts, our hearts are wrong as well, but, but our heads aren't right. I grew up in the South, as many of you did. I grew up with very loving family. I had a grandfather that I just loved. I loved my granddaddy. He took me fishing. I thought he was one of the smartest men I know. Um, 
but he was a very racist man. My grandfather was a very racist man. And before I could know any better or think for myself, I had his words for people in my head. And I had his way of describing people in, in my head. And as a Christian man now and through the years, my struggle has been trying to be more like Jesus and less like my grandfather, as much as I loved him. And, and as many admirable qualities as he had, this is not a way when he was a good example for me. And so understand, it's this idea of, of, of trying to correct and repair and, and get a new way of thinking about other people. And, and, and this is what I'm just begging you to do. In the next four weeks with me, it's just time that you and I let God change the way we think about other groups of people. And I'm asking you to ask the Lord, I mean, give God that permission in your life to give you a new eyes, a, a new mind, a new way of thinking, and a new way of loving people. Will you just do that with me? Um, and for that, let's start in Acts chapter 17, verse 22. Uh, this is Paul preaching a very important, very well-known sermon, uh, a place called the Areopagus. He's preaching to Greek philosophers, Stoic philosophers. These are the smartest men of the day. And Paul is there uh, w with one aim, and that is just simply to tell them about Jesus, to share the gospel with these proud Greek philosophers. And so I'm going to drop into the... <clears throat> middle of this sermon, pay close attention to what Paul says to these men and pay close attention to what he says about race. Acts chapter 17, verse 22. So Paul, standing before the council, addressed him as follows. Men of Athens, I notice that you're very religious in every way. Now, for as I was walking along, I saw your many shrines, and one of your altars had this inscription on it, to an unknown God. This God whom you worship without knowing is the one I'm telling you about. He is the God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, he doesn't live in man-made temples and human hands can't serve his needs for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything and he satisfies every need. Verse 26, from one man, the New Living Translation says man, the word there is blood. So let me just say it. From one blood, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they should rise and fall, and he determined their boundaries. His purpose was for the nations to seek after God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he's not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and exist. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. And since this is true, we shouldn't think of God as an idol designed by craftsmen from gold or silver or stone. God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. For he has set a day for judging the world with justice by the man he has appointed, and he proved to everyone who this is by raising him from the dead. Stop right there. From one blood, from one blood, he created all the nations throughout the whole earth from one blood. You can tell that Paul is trying to win a hearing. These are uh, brilliant, uh, wisest men of the day. They, they love to sit around and talk about ideas. And Paul wants to share the gospel in this context. And you can tell that he's trying to build bridges. 
He wants to win a hearing for the gospel. And so notice how he spends a lot of time just looking, listening, uh, observing. He, he, he notices their shrines to all the multiple gods, a pantheon of gods. And he sees that altar to an unknown God in case they left one out. And so Paul brilliantly steps in and says, that God that you say you don't know, I, I know him. Let me tell you about him. It's, it's just brilliant. Paul doesn't really quote Old Testament scripture because it wouldn't mean anything to these stoic philosophers. He quotes their poets, which is, again, just brilliant. In every place, he's just trying to build bridges, find connections, win a hearing for the gospel, win them over. But this one place, right there where he starts kicking in in verse 26, you got to realize at that point, that's going to fly right up their nose. They're not going to like that. And, and, and this is one place where Paul simply refuses to build a bridge. This is going to be offensive, but Paul just goes right on and plows right into it. And it's a place where he says, verse 26, from one blood, from one man, he created all the nations throughout the whole world. From one blood, he created all the nations. See, Paul knew, if you and I don't, Paul knew that the Athenians, the people of Athens, they had their own tradition about where they came from. The Greeks in general, but the Athenians in particular, they really saw themselves as a superior race. They had a word for themselves, and it's autochthonous. Autochthonous, it's a Greek word that means like out of the soil or out of the trees. They literally believed that they sprang up somehow out of the rich and beautiful Athenian soil or from the Athenian rocks and trees. They just could not imagine that they had the same origin as any other you know, group in all the world. They were different. They were special. They were superior. So when Paul steps out and challenges that, I mean, that's the one thing he's not going to build a bridge to. He's not going to try to win them over or in any way not confront that superior assumption that they have that they're different, that they're better. Paul will have nothing to do with that. And so Paul says, from one blood, from one blood, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall. He determined their boundaries. His purpose, one purpose, was for the nations, all the nations, to seek after him and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So when Paul is sharing the gospel with the Athenians, he has to lay down this fundamental principle in order to share the gospel with the racially superior group or a group that thinks of themselves in that way, Paul has to, has to help them understand this about God. And what they have to know and what you and I have to know is that we are made ethnically diverse because God loves it that way. God loves it that way. We are created this way. God created us differently. God created us to be in groups, and God delights in that. It's not an accident of creation. I'm telling you, God intends it this way. God loves it that way. And every member of every ethnic group is created in God's image. Make no mistake. I mean, this is Genesis, and I'm assuming most of you have read Genesis God created man. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them in the image of God. So every member of every ethnic group is created in the very same image of God, very same as you. And there's not one group that would reflect God's image more, more purely, more closely. 
Understand? You don't resemble God any more than anybody else in all creation would resemble God. You name any tribesman, any group on any corner of the planet, they reflect his image just as surely as you do. And you reflect his image just as surely as they do. Understand, every member of every ethnic group created in that same image of God, made to seek after God and to bring him glory. This brings him glory. God loves this. And this is why you and I need to learn to love this. Because God delights in the diversity of creation. So notice what Paul is saying here. From one man, one blood, God created all the nations throughout the whole earth. So, so let's talk about race. What is race? I, I got to some Wikipedia, y'all, because that's what you do. Race. Race is the idea that human beings can be divided into distinct biological groups or, or races based on external characteristics. Is that familiar? Is that what you'd say? I mean, this is just what we consider race, that idea that human beings can be divided, uh, identified by external characteristics, and then put into groups. Now, throughout the, throughout the decades, uh, scientists, sociologists have discussed how many races there would be. For the most part, th through most of the 20th century, uh, they would say three, three racial or social groups. White, what they called Negroid or, or dark-skinned black, or Asians. That's the main three. Now, some people would throw in a fourth one, which would be Aboriginal Australians. But sometimes they don't count them. So there's either three or there are four, according to the vast tradition of sociology and science. However, that's not biblical. I'll just tell you, that's not biblical. The idea of race is not biblical. I know you're looking at me like, Pastor Tim, it's obvious. No, it's not biblical. Let's come back to verse 26 with me. Uh, understand how the Bible sees people. Understand how the Bible describes our creation. Verse 26, from one blood. Now, that's biological right there, from one blood. I mean, the Greek word is uh, hematos. It's blood. You know, from one blood, God created all of the nations. Or there is ethnos, ethnic. We get the word ethnic. Uh, ethnos comes from a Greek verb that means to become accustomed to. So in this particular place, the distinction that Paul is making here is, is ethnic distinction, but it's cultural. It's cultural, not biological. From one blood, one biology, understand, God created all of the ethnos, all of the cultural groups, the ethnic groups, language groups, people groups. But, but do you understand that that's not biological? It's not racial. I mean, I'm assuming you've read Genesis. I'm assuming you know the story of how we all are created by God. We have one set of parents. Their names are Adam and Eve. There's one set of parents. And all of us, every human being that's ever walked this planet, had the same parents. And their names were Adam and Eve. There's just no getting around this. The Bible does not divide us into races. Now you say, but in the Old Testament, Pastor Tim, it talks about Jews and Gentiles all the time. But understand, what made the Jews distinct? Was it biology? No, it was faith. It was their relationship to the God who made them his people when they made him their God. That was spiritual. 
You know, God told Abraham they would be the father of many nations as long as they shared his biology, no, his faith. So the distinction that the scriptures make is a spiritual distinction, not racial. Now, there may be people along the way who've made that racial, but that's not, that's not native to Scripture. There's no such thing as race in Scripture. There are not multiple races in Scripture. No races, just humans. This is just the Bible. Now, the, the, the really amazing thing, I mean, again, from one blood. He created all the nations throughout the whole earth. He decided beforehand when they would rise and fall, and he determined the, their boundaries, okay? So understand, from God's perspective, in God's view, there are no races, only humans. You've really got to let this sink in because you've probably always been taught that there are multiple races, and I'm telling you, that's not true. That's not biblical, all of these are, are just humans. Just, we're just people. All of whom God knows and loves the same. He knows us, but he knows everybody else too. He loves us, but he knows, loves all the other groups as well. All of us the same. All of us. All of us seen through the same great eyes of mercy and grace. Now, Notice what else Paul says here. Uh, the, the, the purpose for every nation is also the same. We're all supposed to seek after God, fill our way toward him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. So just to make this clear as well, God's not far from any one of us, which means in God's view, there are no foreigners. There are no foreigners. Now, you think about foreigners, and a foreigner is anybody that isn't like you doesn't speak your language or somebody who's not from here. But, but I'm telling you, from God's view, there are no foreigners. God is at home in every culture. God is at home with every group. God hears the prayers of people of every language. There are no foreigners to God. God does not see people the way you and I see people. But we need to learn to align our vision with God's vision. Because God is God. You with me? Are y'all with me? Because I can't tell. All I see are eyeballs and masks, and I, I can't tell if y'all are about to charge the stage. I, I, I can't tell. I'm telling you, it's, it's just Genesis. I'm just speaking biblically to you. Uh, I don't need science to confirm anything about the Bible because I just go with the Bible. But this is one of the amazing places where science, uh, contemporary science, current science is right on the same page with the Bible, and I love that. I mean, y'all may not pay attention to science, but um, there's an amazing scientist named Francis Collins. I, I've mentioned his name before because he's one of my heroes. Francis Collins is the leading scientist in the United States. He's the director of the National Institute of Science. He is the director of the Human Genome Project, that, that great project that mapped out every single sequence in our DNA, the, the whole human DNA genome. Uh, Francis Collins is the man who directed that project. They've mapped out every single chromosome in our body. It's amazing. Francis Collins is a Christian. He came to faith in Jesus because of his work as a scientist, and I find that equally awesome and amazing. But what Francis Collins and others are telling us now based on genetics is that there's no such thing as race. Like genetically, a scientist cannot look at your DNA and tell you what race you are because there's no such thing as race. Like, if I say it over and over, will y'all start to believe it? There's no such thing as race. Like in your DNA, there's no such thing. No such thing. Amazing, huh? I mean, just mind blown. I think it's just absolutely thrilling. 
Scientists say that every single person, every human being on the face of the planet, this is scientists, they say that we all obviously share the same mother, like one mother. Every human being that's ever lived came from one mother, and scientists call her mitochondrial Eve because they can see her marks in the mitochondria of our cells. We all have the same mother, mitochondrial Eve. The Bible just calls her Eve. But do you understand that, that science is confirming exactly what I'm saying, but it's what the Bible said from the very beginning. There's no such thing as race. There are not multiple races. You say, oh, Pastor Tim, that's crazy. I can look and I can see people are different. Yeah, people are different. They are. Obviously, they are. And there is a genetic determination. You have a gene that says what color your eyes will be or what shade of melanin your skin will be. But skin is skin. It's the same skin. And genetically, we're all the same. And have you done the deal where you, you, you like, you know, spit on a Q-tip and get your DNA, like get your genetic uh, profile? Have you done it? Yeah. Anybody else done that? Have you done it? It's, it's kind of amazing, but when you do that, you'll notice they don't tell you what race you are. You know why they don't? Because there's no such thing. They can't look at your genes and tell what race you are. What they tell you is the uh, geographic uh, origin, your, your ancestry and geography. So they'll tell you where your ancestors were from. And often it's, you know, someplace, you know, Central West Africa. Everybody has some African in them. Uh, they, they may tell you, you know, Northern Ireland. I mean, they'll just tell you a, a geography. They'll tell you a geography. But they won't tell you race because there's no such thing. Now, understand how this works. When God created us, male and female in his image, he gave the entire human race, one race, he gave the race one mandate. And what was that? Go be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. Fill the earth. So that was God's intention, that we just go fill the earth. Live everywhere, all kinds of places, just go live. Now, God designed our bodies because God is a brilliant creator. God designed our bodies in such a way where where your ancestors went to live, their bodies adapted to that. So if your ancestors went and lived somewhere where it was freezing cold and the sun never shined, your melanin, your skin got really, really light so that you could absorb more of the sun and your body could make more vitamin D. If your ancestors went and lived somewhere in the tropics where the sun was blazing all the time, your ancestors' skin got dark. God made our skin to adapt. So your ancestors' skin will be darker and they'll pass it on to their children. But to understand, skin's still skin. It's the same skin. And your skin will do that wherever you go. It's just skin. It's still just skin. There is no such thing as multiple races. Genetically, scientifically, I mean, no matter how you look at it, there aren't multiple races, just one extended family, glorious and diverse. Glorious and diverse. God loves it this way. He loves it this way. But you and I struggle. Why do we struggle? Our heads aren't right. Our hearts aren't right. But we're going to work on that, right? The Holy Spirit's going to work on that. So let me just give you some new thoughts, all right? Let's just lay down some new principles. First off, this is just basic pro-life right here. You ready? God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe, period. God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe. 
That means if you encounter someone and they're living and they're breathing, their life, their breath, it comes from the Lord. I got that right out of Acts chapter 17. I mean, we just read that. God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe. Now, I am pro-life, and a lot of us think pro-life is just about, you know, being anti-abortion. But no, no, life is womb to tomb. It's womb to tomb. So life is life wherever you encounter it, and wherever you encounter it, you got to be for it. Because God is pro-life. God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe. So anybody who's living, anybody who's breathing, that is a life that God has ordained. That is a life that God has blessed. That is a life that Jesus died for, a life that God loves. So understand, you're not allowed. You're not allowed to look across and decide that somebody's worth more than somebody else. You're not allowed to say whose life matters because you don't matter. You're not the one that gets to say it's God who gives life and breath, and it's God who makes sure that everyone who lives and breathes lives with the same worth and dignity. That's from the Creator. Does that make sense? God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe. You and I aren't necessarily good at being pro-life, womb to tomb, because we like to decide that some lives matter more, but that's not how this works. That's not how God sees the world. That's not how He created us. God gives life and breath to all who live and breathe. Number two, God creates and loves everyone, everywhere the same, and he glories in our ethnic diversity. He glories in it. He loves it. God loves it. We struggle, but God creates and loves everyone, everywhere the same. He knows the number of hairs on their head, just like he knows you. He knows their thoughts. He knows their dreams. He created them. He knows their laughter, their tears. God knows all of this. And God created us this way. From one blood, he made all of the ethnic groups, all of the languages, all of the customs, all the cultures, all the weird food. I mean, you know, God glories in all of that because all of those people are made in his image. And it's beautiful. What that tells us, it just might take, you know, the, the shape of many faces to begin to image the God who is beyond, you know, physical description. It just may be that it takes, you know, the praise of many, many tongues, many, many languages to give him the worship that he deserves. You know, the, the multitude of dancing feet from many different drums, you know, to give this God the glory that he deserves. Are you with me? Do you understand? The laughter and the tears and the dreams of all the children of the world can't begin to compare to the love and mercy of this great God. It just takes all of us. It takes all of us. And God glories in that diversity. All of that just continues to give him praise. It's what he intends. But you and me, we just can't, we just can't see this way unless the Lord works some kind of miracle. We don't see the world this way. Uh, for the one, for one thing, a lot of us don't even, you know, if we're talking about culture groups, a lot of us don't even think we have culture because you don't know like what you know. I, I read a pastor who had attended a, a Christian wedding, but the families were from the country of India. And so there was a lot of this, you know, Indian cultural aspect to the wedding. And at the end, the pastor went up to the groom and said, dude, I loved your wedding, man. I just love you. The culture was amazing. And then he said, I wish I had a culture. And the Indian guy looked at him and said, what are you talking about? You see, we live in the South, and most of us are just, you know, kind of, you know, white people, and, and we don't think that Cracker Barrel is a culture. But if other people, like anybody else from any other country, like sat down at Cracker Barrel and saw that little, 
golf tee triangle thing, and if you leave one, you're, you're an ignoramus or something. Do you know how crazy that is? Like, you know how weird we look? The fact that everything we eat, like a Cracker Barrel, like we season it with bacon grease or like tons of black pepper, like the rest of the world, they think we're weird because it's just the nature of people. We, we look and we see difference and, and, and we judge difference. And understand, God may see the difference, but he doesn't judge it the way we do. He glories in it. My aim as a believer, as I said, is to be more and more like Jesus. I want to be like Jesus. And the scripture says that the same mandate is for every other person of every other nation. They're all going to be like Jesus too. But do you know what? Those other people, they don't have to be more like me to get to be more like Jesus. They don't have to look like me at all. They don't have to live like me. They don't have to speak my language. They don't have to like what I like. Do you see what I'm saying? They can become more and more like Jesus and never, ever look anything like me. And God glories in that. God God glories in that. There was probably a long period in my life when I thought like our aim was be like to be colorblind. Like, like I've said that probably in this pulpit. DC Talk saying that in, in the 80s, y'all. So you know, just the idea of like, just don't see color. Because that sounded right to me. Like we don't just see color. We're just going to you know, look on the heart. But we're not good at that. Can I just be honest? I can't speak for you. But it turns out I'm not good at that. Because often when we said we were just not going to see color, We just didn't see people. It wasn't color that we were blind to. It was people that that we literally erase because we don't know how to see them. I went to Southern Seminary uh, in the 90s uh, where I prepared to be a minister. It's a great, great school. Um, Again, I'm from Woodburn, y'all, and I had never really lived in this. Louisville's the biggest city I've ever lived in, and the seminary was amazing because of its cultural diversity. As Baptists, we've been sending missionaries all around the world, you know, forever. And, and we have a great fruit of ministry of the gospel from all over the world. And often those men and women will come to Southern Seminary to prepare for ministry too. It's the first time in my life I've just been in that kind of setting. And I loved it. I just loved it. One day uh, in chapel, I sat next to this really tall, really tall black guy, just really tall. Um, and I could tell he was African. You know, because he just was just African. Uh, I mean, just tall and African. And I loved it because I'm from Woodburn, and I just kind of wanted to just, you know, look. And just like look at him because I just, and I don't mean anything bad by this, you guys. I just was really excited to, you know, to, to be able to sit next to this African man. His name was Lincoln, and we became really good friends. I love Lincoln. The, my first moment was when we stood up to sing. I thought, he's, he's going to sing African, you know. He grabbed the hymnal just like I did, and he sang all the hymns, you know, like without even looking at the words. It was over. I said, Lincoln, how'd you know all those songs? He said, I've been singing those songs all my life. <laughs> I, I, I learned something about, about what it means to be Southern Baptist and something about what it is to look at a man who's very different and he's still your brother. thing is, one day after chapel, I walked through the main hallway of the student center at the seminary. I walked with Lincoln. I'd walk, like I was a seminary like eight years ago. I was on an eight-year plan, so I'd done this for a, 
thousand times, but this day I was walking with Lincoln. As we walked just down the hallway, all of these dark-skinned people, men and women, African men and women, were just saying, hello, Lincoln, hello, Lincoln, hi, Lincoln, hello, Lincoln. And it just dawned on me, I didn't know there were so many Africans at the seminary. Like, I mean that. I didn't know. I guess a hundred times I could walk up and down that hallway and I literally didn't see them. It's not that I didn't want to see them. It's not that I ignored them. It's just, as I say, it's human nature. We, we, we scan a crowd and we just look for people who look like us. We, we all do that. But it was amazing for me this day to walk down the hallway and see, see my own school through Lincoln's eyes. Because I got to see through Lincoln's eyes, and all of a sudden, there are all of these amazing African men and women, you know, saying, hello, Lincoln, hello, Lincoln. I'd never even seen them. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not enough to say you're going to be colorblind, because you end up just literally not seeing people. And we have to see people. We, we, we want to see people. Because understand this, in learning to see others who were different, I learned to see a different side of God's own face. Understand this. We're all made in God's image, right? And if there are people that you literally can't see because you, you don't see color or you just overlook their differences or you try to just pretend that everybody's the same, I'm telling you, at that point you're missing out. Because what makes us different is amazing and it's beautiful and God delights in that. And that person who's different from you, when you learn to see them, I mean really see them and know them and love them, you're going to learn to see and know and love something greater about, about the God that you served all of your life. Because it takes all of us created in his image. You'll begin to love God more deeply when you learn to love and see people more deeply. You've got to learn to see. Because when you can see people, you will begin to see more and more of the gracious goodness of the God who made us all. Does that make any sense? Learn to see a whole different side of God's own face. This last is hard. This is hard but it comes straight out of the word. Verse 30, God overlooked people's ignorance about these things in earlier times, but now he commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. You know, I said that, you know, that day at the Radisson Hotel, I, I, was, I was ignorant. I, mean, I, was, I was just dumb. Uh, you know, me and that gorgeous little girl in the striped mini dress, uh, we were just ignorant. We could have talked. We could have been friends. I mean, we didn't know. And I guess some of you in this room would say the same thing. You know, there were times when you haven't loved people well. You haven't been kind. You, you've been prejudiced. You, you have spoken poorly. You have treated people poorly, or at least you've carried the attitude in your heart. And you would just have to say you didn't know better. Maybe you're raised like a grandfather like I had. See, that's the thing. My grandfather was, a, in many ways, such a good man. 
He talked horribly about certain groups of people. But at the very same time, anybody who came up into his yard to borrow tools, he'd give them anything he had. It was this mix of kindness and prejudice that was so confusing. You throw religion into that. It's very difficult, and this is what I'm saying. We, we can never really have our hearts totally right if our minds are totally wrong. And There was a time when our minds were just totally wrong because it's how we were raised, it's how we were taught, it's, it's the way the culture bends us. I mean, make no mistake, nearly everybody who's been talking about race for the last six or seven months, they, they had some interest in dividing us. They want to divide us. They don't want us to be unified. They don't want us to see and know and love people the way God sees and knows and loves people. I mean, the world continues to have an interest in dividing us and turning us against each other. That's the way the world is. I'm telling you, there's no such thing as multiple races, but the world is going to continue to, to, to teach you that and try to make you see things that way. But I'm telling you, we're not the world. We are not of this world. We don't belong to this world. We belong to Christ. We belong to Christ, and that's what I'm saying. In, in my life, the Holy Spirit calls me every day to become more and more like Jesus and less and less like my grandfather, more like Jesus, less like the world. So there was a time when we could say we were ignorant, but, but this is what Paul says, and this is the bridge he refuses to build. Because the Athenians who think that they're racially superior, who think that they somehow have a different origin, a different relationship with creation, I mean, Paul cannot possibly think that they're going to bring that in with the gospel. You don't build a bridge to that. That's why Paul says God overlooked ignorance about these things earlier, but, 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 but now... Now he's going to judge sin. Commands everyone everywhere to repent of their sins and turn to him. What I'm suggesting to you is some of what you've carried in your head, and maybe, it's, maybe you just thought it was ignorance or just you know, kind of the way you were raised or kind of the way you were taught or just kind of how the, the way the world is. God overlooks ignorance, but he's going to judge sin. And what I'm really asking you to consider is some of what you've just sort of allowed to live in the back of your mind because it was ignorant, um, you need to call that up and confess that as sin. It, it's sin. You cannot say that you belong to Jesus and then not love the people that Jesus loves. And you want to know the people that Jesus loves? All of them. All of them. And that same love, the love that, that brings you into God's family, that's the same love that Jesus puts in your heart. If you belong to him, he'll put his love in your heart. You can't say you belong to him and then not love the way he loves. You, you can't do that. Maybe there was a time when you didn't know better. I know there was a time when I didn't know better. But now you know. Now you know. Pray with me. God, you told us to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And God, we confess that we've never, ever been very good at that. We love ourselves and we love people like ourselves, 
but we're not very good at loving neighbors who aren't very much like us. Will you help us, Lord, to learn to see ourselves, our hearts, the way you see us in our hearts? And while you're giving us eyes to see ourselves, Lord, will you give us eyes to see others? Will you help us learn to see people, really see people? See them, Lord, in all the ways they're like us and see them in all the ways that they're different from us and love them. Love them with perfect love from pure hearts that come straight from the perfect and pure heart of Jesus. Oh, God, if we could change ourselves, if, if, if we could empty ourselves of all of the ways that sin has affected our thinking, our, our upbringing, if we could somehow erase all of that, Lord, we would have done it a long time ago. We carry it with us. But Lord Jesus, today, we just want to bring it to you. Confess it as sin and let you give us a new mind, new eyes to see others, a heart like yours to love everybody else, just like you love everybody everywhere. Can't do this without you, Lord. That's why we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.